Ravioli, ravioli. I-W-A. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Fit Literate, everybody. Laura is doing the YMCA, but with a twist for our topic today. She's doing the Y. W, w. How do you do the W? A. a. I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing little like paddle hands and my elbows are sort of down by my side. Shoulder scrunch. All the too similar. That's a problem. It's all overhead work. <laughs> I guess the YMCA is too, but I feel like they're more, there's more shape differentiation. The M is easier than the W. Yeah. The M is really evocative and the W just looks like I'm the shrug emoji. But, huh? Hmm? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm Carolyn and I'm Laura. And we're Sorry, talking we, about we yoga. We really do know that podcasting is not a visual medium, but Oh we my god. We're trying really week. hard to start this episode. We talked for like 20 minutes before hitting record and then we hit record and then talked for another 5 minutes about a future topic. And now That's and now we're going to get started. And now we're going to get started. Welcome listeners. Welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome. welcome back. We are talking about yoga and uh, cultural appropriation and uh, specifically yoga with and Adrian. best friend, Adrian Mishler. Yes. Dear sweet Adrian Mishler. And we want to say welcome to the end of January 2023. If I'm not mistaken, you're probably listening to this on February 2nd, 2023, which means a lot of you have just finished your 30 days of YouTube yoga that was perhaps a New Year's resolution or just a fun little tradition slash practice to ease you into the year. Mm-hmm. And I hope it was awesome. And if you did all 30 days, I'm very impressed with you. I think Congrats. I only managed to do that That's one super time. Cool. We admittedly have trapped you here with a little bit of clickbait because we're not, we don't have any deep, dark secrets to drag out of Adrian Mishler's closet. No. Uh, for the most part, we adore her. I, I, she's, she got me into internet fitness. I will say I started doing Oh really? yoga with Adrian videos in college. Yeah. Oh. I've cried in pigeon pose a lot to the sounds mm. of Adrian making like a very obscure nineties pop culture reference. So, um, <laughs> I am a fan. Yeah. We'll try to hold that to the side. Yeah. So if you clicked on this video, either excited that we were going to yeah, reveal some deep, dark secret. I'm sorry. That's not what this episode is going to be today. This is not some sort of takedown. Um, and if you were nervous clicking on the episode that we were going to ruin your favorite, don't worry. That is not what's happening. Um, before we get into it, I also just want to mention that the second half of this episode is yes. going to be um, an interview with mm-hmm. oh, Laura. Do you want to talk about it since she's My your friend? dear sweet friend, Divya Balakrishnan uh, is an amazing yoga teacher and was kind enough to be our first guest and to sit down and talk to us about her personal yoga philosophy and practice and teaching and um, hopefully some, uh, well, I'm saying hopefully we know because we already talked to her, but uh, (laughs) she, I think provides a lot of insight and a nice little wrap up to what we're going to talk about in the first half of this first half of this episode, which we're recording right now. (laughs) We've done a lot of chat so far. I don't know if we should, I don't know if we should have given it away so hard that we're like, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. But just too anxious girlies here to chat with you. I think we're nervous about like unlocking. 
I think we're nervous about unlocking another dimension with all of the time hopping that we're doing to record this. So we're, we're just it's a little like, Caroline, on Don't touch anything. <laughs> don't touch anything. You might change the future. Um, oh God. Yeah. So the reason that we chose to frame this discussion about yoga as a separate, very popular category of internet fitness content. Uh, the reason we chose to frame that in the context of Yoga with Adrian is because she is literally the first hit that comes up when you search yoga, period. On YouTube, one of her videos from many, many years ago, I can tell you in a second, nine years ago, Yoga for Complete Beginners, 20-minute home yoga workout, has 49 million views uh, she's shit. racked up over 49 million that's wild that's a uh, lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> she also personally has 11.8 million subscribers on youtube that's her main wow. platform she's also on instagram i don't think she's on tiktok i didn't check she's that not. doesn't seem like I her did. vibe um amazing but she's been making yoga videos for a decade so adrian started posting yoga videos on YouTube in August 2012. She's, I've seen all sorts of articles. Vox called her a YouTube sensation. The Guardian calls her the people's yogi. She has billions and billions and billions of views, over 600 classes on YouTube. So like the woman is prolific and well-received. Everybody loves her, right? Um, and no reason not to. She's very chill, She's gotten a lot of people into moving their bodies, which we think is a net positive. But Adrian, as a thin, white presenting woman, it really represents what yoga looks like on the internet and not yoga at its core. Admittedly, neither Carolyn or I are really pros on this, so we're not going to dive into that. But we want to go over what yoga looks like on the internet today. Um, for example, YouTube, if you search yoga and you go a little deeper than just yoga with Adrian, you are still going to be fed primarily videos of thin white women, primarily videos that are promoting weight loss or belly fat blaster or toning or anything along the lines of fitness clickbait, um, and not actually deepening the practice of yoga. This tends to go for Instagram and TikTok as well, and anywhere that fitness content proliferates. Um, especially on Instagram, uh, there are a lot of showy poses, which is focusing on uh, yoga asana, which is just one branch of yoga. That is the movement and posture branch of yoga. Um, Looking at the Instagram page, when you just search the hashtag yoga, there is a person literally standing on their head with no hands, just just <laughs> flipped around. Just picture a person, like how a person stands up and then just flip them 180 degrees. Um, <laughs> lots of, again, thin women in pretty active wear on beaches, in jungles, in completely barren rooms, doing impressive postures uh, that are focused on their flexibility and not much else. And of course that is as we've hammered home time and time and time again, the algorithm likes to show us what we want to see and things that stop mm -hmm. our scroll, things that catch our eye tend to spread faster. So this doesn't mean yeah. of course that there isn't a lot of good yoga content out there, 
but this is the sort of do you think it would be fair to call it like the lowest common denominator for what shows up in your feed when you're not looking for it it's basically like so you mentioned that on youtube uh yoga with adrian is the first thing that comes up she is the most popular uh yoga content creator on youtube but on other apps that are more about um, like short form content. So think TikTok and Instagram, what's going to go viral is the stuff that's very extreme. And we've talked about this as sort of an underlying theme when it comes to fitness and social media virality in lots of different, uh, modalities and genres of working out. And it's the same with yoga as well. Um, it's like you said, a lot of, people doing very uh, impressive, acrobatic (laughs) looking poses and sequences, people whose bodies would fit the conventional like fit, thin ideal of what we would generally as a society consider like a fit body is supposed to look like. Um, And that is what is going viral. Um, So Do you want to, Laura, talk a little bit about kind of what makes Adrienne's content kind of different from that? Like what sets her apart and what has made her so, so popular? Because she's not that category of like acrobatic, showboaty, um, clout chasing. Like that, that's not what her content looks like. Absolutely. She's not. Her, honestly, her content that's not her full length yoga videos is very sort of, personal and mild I would call it and I I think I mean those as compliments um her coaching style I'll call it is very friendly and approachable she's made accessibility a huge tenant of her business from the beginning putting all of this content out for free and really doubling down over the past few years with the pandemic uh she actually spoke about I think this was in a a self article that she was feeling quite burnt out uh, at the onset of the pandemic and had sort of planned to take a step back. But then when there was an increased demand, she viewed it as sort of her act of service to increase production. Yeah. Cause she had videos like for people to five. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Finish your sentence. No, 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 no. You keep going. Oh, I was going to say, I'm not surprised that she was burnt out in 2020 because she had had like five years of really intensely growing success. Like I know we said that she started her channel in like 2012 and I think it was 2015 when she really started to take off. That's when she did her first 30 day challenge. I think I read that she had like a collaboration with Adidas that year and her channel was just growing by like millions of followers every year. And that's a lot to keep up with for five years in a row. So I'm not surprised that she was planning on taking a break And I'm not surprised that she decided to uh, continue when the demand for online uh, workout content that you can do from home became necessary for people who wanted to exercise. Yes, the... 2015 was definitely a tipping point for her. That's the first year she did the January challenge, the 30 days of yoga. Um, She had climbed up to, let's see... By 2018, she had 4 million practitioners, Um, but the 2015 launch of the first 30-day yoga journey, which is a new yoga video every single day, which as someone who has 
very briefly dipped my toe into YouTube. That is a lot of work. That I'm sure is months of effort for something mm-hmm. that seems, you know, fairly simple. Um, and it's noticeable that like the production value of her content has gone up and up and up. She works closely with one producer who does all her videos. Um, but that's a tremendous amount of output, especially for free. Now she has a, a paid offering community. Um, she has a subscription app, but I would say that her YouTube presence is the most well known. Yeah. yeah. So you um, said that her um that her personality is very like easygoing and approachable. She's very friendly. And honestly, she comes across as just very kind and compassionate and patient. Like everything that I would personally want in someone that I'm taking a fitness class from, um, of any modality. So would you, for anyone who hasn't like taken her classes before, Laura, could you tell us about like kind of what, what the classes are like? Yeah. She's very relaxed and approachable. She, I view her as catering towards the yoga, maybe novice slash casual practitioner rather than other like she often modifies up rather than modifying down she won't go Mm -hmm. into a headstand and then be like and if you don't want to do this you can do child's pose she will do legs up the wall and then say if you're choosing another inversion today this is the time for you to do that uh she's very gentle and friendly um i think i already mentioned this that I saw her referred to so many times as the internet's best friend. Like she is approachable to the max. She's fun. She can be a little bit like naughty. Like she makes a lot of like sex jokes, but like one every six videos. (laughs) Yeah. Like you feel like you kind of catch her out of the corner of your eye. You're like, you're in chair pose and you're like suffering. And then you're like, Adrian, wow. (laughs) She'll say something like a little bit silly. Yeah. She practices she gives the appearance i guessing now she works out of a studio based on the change in background but for a long time i think it was out of her home um mm-hmm. at least it looked that way or it was outside her dog benji is always there beloved benji also this cracks me up i the sidebar sorry i forget i think it was maybe a year ago she posted a picture just a portrait of herself with a pillow that had like an embroidered photo of Benji the dog on it and she didn't (laughs) post like a caption and then everyone was freaking out in the comments because they thought Benji died no (laughs) yeah I saw this post when it was like edited and she was like Benji's fine this is just like a pillow that I had (laughs) made um Hilarious. And like that is the most controversy that controversy that happens in her corner of fitness internet. It's incredible how low conflict she is. Yeah. She's incredibly soothing. Like I said, very approachable. And she really, I think, treats the beginner yoga practitioner who stumbles across her video on YouTube Mm -hmm. as an equal. She is so warm and so like solid and stoic and calm, but also fun without being, she strikes a really good balance that makes her very not intimidating. Yeah. I don't know. I've taken a lot of scary yoga classes. I've taken a lot of yoga classes where they really wanted to be like, 
they really wanted everyone to be sexy. They really wanted everyone to be going through some sort of, uh, sort of forced spiritual experience together while we were <laughs> like all trying to go upside down and flailing. And this is, de- that's decidedly not the vibe of the space that she's uh, curated. And I honestly think part of that is that she's an actress. That's her background. And I mm-hmm. think that makes her a good communicator and a good storyteller primarily i think she's been very aware of the vibe for lack of a better word that she put out from the very beginning i don't think that she was aiming to be the most accomplished most demanding yoga practitioner in the world who then shared her personal practice i think she meant to tell a story and create an environment and to some extent, sort of like a corner of culture with yeah. this content. And I think yeah. she was very successful in that. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that, mm-hmm. you know, is a little more complicated than it might appear on the surface is kind of the conversation we want to have today. Because um, Adrian is someone who is very like controversy-less. I don't think anyone would look at her and be like, she's the problem. We don't think yeah. we don't think she's a problem <laughs> to be very clear, but mm-hmm. the fervor around her content is perhaps indicative of a larger problem. Yeah. Do you think that's fair to say? I think so. Um so just in terms of the things that we usually kind of look out for when digging into the online careers of famous fitness personalities. Um, You know, we look for unsolicited diet advice and problematic uh, belief sharing around body size. And truly, she has done a very good job of staying in her lane when it comes to that type of stuff. Like yoga teachers should not be giving out diet diet advice or – claiming that their workouts can, you know, cause weight loss. She has a handful of videos that she's made over the years that are titled Yoga for Weight Loss. And I I watched through a few of those because I was very curious, like kind of what her approach to making a video like that would be. And to be honest, I think it was mostly just kind of clickbait. Like I think it was just a thing to get people to click on it because other than that, just being the title of the video, there's nothing about the uh, class that she taught that is any different from any of her others. She doesn't harp on things like burning calories or saying anything bad about people in larger bodies. And she also hasn't made a video with that in the title in, I think, at least four years. So it seems like that type of stuff, even if she sort of toyed with it a little bit, as we all have at certain points in our fitness careers, because that's just the environment of the fitness industry in general, it seems like she has really decided that that is not where her bag is <laughs> like that that's not why people go to her and it's it's not at the core of her stuff and i mostly say this because if anyone was listening to this who is maybe um in recovery from an eating disorder and is seeking out 
fitness content online that is not going to be triggering, um, I would say that she's probably going to be a safe resource for most people, unlike some of the other people that we've talked about where it has the potential to be a lot more triggering, say like Blogilates or Tracy Anderson, where um, that type of really diet culture heavy talk is a lot more prominent in their content. Yeah, it definitely seems like she stepped away from even using those terms in the past few years. But Mm -hmm. I I used to be and used to, I'd say maybe a year or two ago, I would have been hypercritical of using that sort of clickbait. But I actually watched a discussion between um, Abby from Abby's Kitchen. Do you Mm. know her, Carolyn? She's a dietitian. She makes she like reviews what I eat in a day. That's probably her main content. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's very much operates from like an anti-diet and I, I'd say even bordering on weight neutral perspective. Um, she mm. did a YouTube conversation with a, another fitness like influencer YouTuber that I cannot remember the name of, uh, at this moment, but they were talking about titling YouTube videos and specifically mm-hmm. like why they use clickbaity terms that they'll be like, Oh, this is how my stomach got flat. And then they don't talk about it. And they were like, it is more important to me to clog up that search term, have Um. someone click on my video and have them find an actual resource. And they're like, I feel quite shitty about sort of putting that language out into the universe. But if that's what gets people to click on it, and that means they don't watch like a Chloe Ting video where she's like, rock on your spine and then you'll have a tiny waist in a week yeah i know um then it's like a net positive so i think i've softened on that quite a bit and i would offer that perspective here if anyone's like bristling you know yeah that's an interesting approach um and i definitely like i know that i've never really cared or I currently don't care so much about just like the titles of stuff. Um, clickbait just exists. Um, it's more the actual content of the content and what people's takeaway message is going to be that matters. Um, but that is an interesting social media strategy. Um, the idea of clogging up the problematic search terms with content that is more likely to point someone towards healing. That's that's interesting. Maybe that's a conversation I've, we can go deeper into one day. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested in yeah. that. And we can yeah. leave it at that because that, I'll, you know, I'll talk for yeah. an hour if we open up this that's can of worms. <laughs> uh, that's a whole, that's a bathtub full of worms. So where were we? Um, yeah, Adrian, in general, if you are actually following along with a video, I can almost guarantee, and I will knock off wood because I have not watched all 650 of her videos, you will not hear anything mega triggering, diety, weight mm-hmm. loss centric, even that really makes you conscious of your body in a negative way, at least from an intentional comment from Adrian. Yes. She really is very... She's just kind. I just like her. I'm really trying not to show how much I like her, but I do like her quite a bit. Um, Absolutely. Anyways, I know, Carolyn, you did a little, I keep teasing that sort of Adrian is indicative of this yes. uh, Americanized version of internet yoga. And I know you've got the goods to back up. So let's get into it. So basically, like the main thing that makes a public figure like Adrian 
quote unquote problematic is less to do with her and who she is a person and more to do with a broader cultural and philosophical conversation about yoga and how it's been culturally appropriated in the West over the last hundred or so years. Um, Because most people in the United States, at least, who just have a casual relationship with yoga, like maybe they've done some videos on YouTube, gone to a handful of classes, maybe at like a local YMCA or their college fitness center. Um, Their relationship with yoga is that it is a form of fitness, that it is a workout, maybe that it contains some kind of meditation or mindfulness component, maybe some breath work, but it's going to be mostly about that physical aspect to it. Some of the most popular types of yoga in like yoga classes in the United States are the ones that are the most like physically rigorous. (laughs) So think like hot vinyasa flow and like acro yoga or there are things with uh like gimmicks attached to it like um goat yoga goat yoga <laughs> or trap Puppy yoga fear yoga yeah and not to say that any of these things are inherently bad it's just that we call them yoga when they are mostly divorced from the roots of what yoga actually is and actually has been over the over 5,000 years that it has existed as a philosophical, spiritual, mindfulness, and yes, physical practice. So um, like I said, yoga started over 5,000 years ago in Northern India. That is where the roots of it are. And I'm not an expert in this. I'm going to be, this is a very brief history just to give a little, a little bit of context, especially before we go into the interview with Divya. Um, so started 5,000 years ago in India and went through lots of different changes and evolutions, different people, uh, bringing their own, uh, philosophy to the practice. Um, and it didn't, get introduced to the Western world until I think like 1893 is what it was um, in Chicago at a um, some kind of like conference about world religions and spiritual practices. So that was sort of the first introduction to the Western world. And then it didn't become start to become popular at all in the United States until around the 50s. I would say that's when I saw was the first time that it really started to take off in any kind of significant way um, in Hollywood. <laughs> Lots uh, or there, there were various like actresses that um, got into the practice uh, in the 1950s. And when it was brought over to the United States in the way in the, in the method that it became popularized, um, a lot of the spiritual and non-physical aspects of it, like philosophical aspects of it, were kind of put on the back burner, put to the side to make it more appealing to a Western audience. Because around this mid-century time, this is when fitness and wellness 
were starting to have their moment in the United States. And this is something that we've talked about before. Um, but you know, bodybuilding and calisthenics and, uh, like British gymnastics practices were all starting to become popular and in vogue. And so the physical, like asana practice of yoga, um, kind of fit into that trend. Um, and then in the 60s with the hippies and the free love movement and just an affinity for uh, learning about and appropriating all types of Eastern spiritual practices and religions, yoga really started to take off then. <laughs> and that say, just like, rolled. You could probably track, was it Nixon who went to China first? And the, uh, I'm thinking about well, like, I don't remember <laughs> my, my grandparents who have all these like, or did in their old house, like all this, like chinoiserie. I don't know if that's even a good term to use anymore, but like yeah. just this sort of East Asian decor. And I would imagine that that sort of political turning point sparked a whole weird fascination yes. with, you know, quote unquote, capital letters, the East. I mean, white people have been into orientalism for a long long time but kind of the like modern <laughs> version of it definitely started happening in the mid century like mid 20th century with a lot of the geopolitical things that were going on at the time lots of for, converging like, middle factors class consumers yeah Yes, exactly. But then also with, you know, the popularization of psychedelics and, you know, wanting to expand the mind, um, any kind of practice that involved meditation also became really popular. So that's kind of where yoga fit in. And then over the next few decades with the just continual growth and expansion of the fitness industry and the, you know, steady rise in popularity of asana yoga as a form of uh, physical fitness, of like physical activity, I should say, um, we see it morph into the yoga landscape that we see today, where the philosophy and any kind of spiritual aspects have been pretty much completely taken out of it unless you are actually going to a yoga teacher training or you're specifically seeking that out from your yoga practice. Most of the neighborhood yoga studios that you see in, you know, the suburbs and college towns and uh, even big cities, most of them are going to be catering to the Western audience, just like they were back in the mid-century, um, making it a workout. And then we see the uh, the introduction of social media <laughs> that just Ooh. completely takes it off the rails and turns it into a much more visual medium where it is no longer just about the physical practice of it, but it's also about the physical appearance of it. So that's when we see like the, um, the, how do I even want to say this? Just like the importance of the way you look while doing yoga really intensify. That's always been a part of the it. Like there's always, just like with everything in the, in the fitness industry. of yoga. Yeah. There's always been a component of anti-fatness. There's always been a component of beauty standards, but social media just amplifies that. Um, consumerism and the popularity of athleisure and $100 yoga pants from Lululemon. Uh, 
you recognize this. This is the yoga that we see and know today. And that's kind of how we got there. Yeah. I also think it's worth mentioning, and this is something I haven't delved into too deeply, but it's kind of a, a conversation that's coming about now is, especially on TikTok, for some reason, I think because of TikTok has slightly like looser community guidelines somehow everybody's always getting blocked and deactivated but it's a lot of wild stuff slips through the cracks tiktok (laughs) especially if you just search yoga you're gonna get basically softcore porn it's uh become kind of a stand-in word for things to slip through community guidelines violations because um, a woman can be wearing, you know, a thong, which practice yoga and whatever the heck you want to wear. I don't care. But we see upskirt shots. We see just women in very like spread leg poses, sort of. It's a lot of crotch bouncing. shots for sure. Yeah. It's a lot of sort of contortion, which is cool whatever that's its own art form but contortion for the sake of catering to a a pornified gaze um to sort of slip under the radar for social media and they'll say well i'm a yoga account and i mean i'm happy that they're not just banning yoga accounts left and right but it, I have no problem with someone even posting a yoga practice and their sexuality is part of their yoga practice or they want to be naked. Like I think what Justin Stanley's doing on OnlyFans is super cool. Yes. But this is not that. This is... This is fetish no, content. No semblance to yoga. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that the is same using thing as like the word. women sticking their feet into buckets of slime or like yes. they're stabbing cakes or whatever. And you're like, what am I watching? It's that. Yeah. Those weird like food videos where they're making a, a recipe, but none of the steps make sense. And they all have like really manicured hands that they're just like sticking in the food. Yeah. TikTok is very yeah. strange. <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff yeah. on there. So – you know, I uh, be forewarned if you go searching uh, on TikTok, but also I think that is kind of the extreme follow through of a yoga that has been divorced from its original intent, sort of yeah. somehow neutered and also sexualized and really glamorized and commodified as a showy, flashy, competitive practice, competitive, Mm -hmm. like fitness sport instead of, um, a practice. And I know in this interview that you're about to listen to with Divya, she refers to yoga as a tool a lot, which I thought was such a cool Mm. phrasing. Um, but that's not what's going on online. (laughs) So (laughs) we, we had to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so with that, I guess we should just go into the interview. Yeah. I think we've run it into the ground. I think you're going to enjoy the second half of this podcast a lot more because Divya had such incredible things to say. I could have listened to her talk all day and it was much more joyful and hopeful and warm and fuzzy than, uh, we've been, but 
Yes. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. Enjoy our first Fit Literate guest. Thanks for listening, everyone. Here is Divya. We are so, so very excited, our friends, to have my friend Divya here with us today, uh, our first guest on the podcast. We're so psyched to have you. Uh, Divya is an ERYT 200 yoga educator who has been practicing yoga since she was a child. Um, she loves to break down yoga techniques on the internet. Some of my favorite series of yours are the Yoga Mythology series on Instagram. I love that. Uh, she talks a lot about the history of yoga um, and Divya advocates for collective wellness as a form of social justice. As a Tamil American, she was never represented in the industry born of her own culture and vowed to change that one day. She hopes her efforts help people surpass their perceived limitations and discover their spark. Sorry for the slightly robotic intro, but those are Divya's own words and I think they're so beautiful. So I wanted to share them with you. Uh, but we wanted to talk to you about all about your yoga practice, all about your yoga teachings. Um, you have an amazing collection of resources on the internet available for both free and for, you know, paid support subscribers. I love your YouTube classes. You have such a warm and gentle and like solid style of teaching. I love like flowing along with you. Um, so I definitely recommend for anyone who's looking to broaden their yoga horizons slash just get into a regular yoga practice, like, please go use her resources, full free classes on YouTube. Anyways, that's our very long introduction to say, welcome, Divya. Uh, we're so happy you're here. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here and to be your first guest on the podcast. I think the work y'all are doing is so important. And I'm just really excited to be part of the conversation. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so happy to have you. Um, so I think the first thing that we'd love to ask you about is just sort of your personal history with yoga. Uh, how did your practice start? How did you transition that into teaching? And also something we've talked a lot about is sort of balancing personal practices as um, uh, enthusiasts in the fitness movement yoga space with your practice as a teacher. And how, how do you balance those two things? How is that evolved your practice as you share it with others? Ooh, starting off with a hard hitter. Disclaimer, <laughs> every time I get into talking about my yoga history, I try to get shorter and shorter with my story every time, but it's just hard because there's so many facets to it. So I'm going to try to be concise, but there, it is a multi-chapter journey. So uh, way back when I was a wee little 12-year-old, um, actually going back even before that, I lived in India for a year when I was eight with my mom and my sister and our extended family and was really fully immersed in my culture, which I'd always been attached to, but I was fully immersed in it for the first time for a longer period of time. And during that year, I remember my mom would go to a local college and would just take these very simple basic classes where she learned um, yoga for the first time herself. Um, and she later taught me when I was 12 years old, she showed me the basic sun salutation sequence, which is slightly different than the power version of it that's taught in most uh, yoga teacher trainings in most studios. It's a slightly longer 12 step salutation sequence. Um, and I learned this at a time in my life when I was very impressionable and I was kind of on a mission of sorts. I'd always grown up a little bit chubbier and, you know, grew up very much so 
bullied for it and did not have a very healthy mindset, a healthy view of myself. Um, so when I was 12, I kind of had this mission of, okay, I'm going to, you know, lose weight. I'm going to become my like dream self and all these ooh la la things, you know, really, really toxic mindset going into it. It wasn't at all around health or fitness. So, you know, yoga was the first thing that I was comfortable to practice on my own. I felt like, okay, I have the knowledge, you know, sports, I'd always grown up playing sports, but the competitive nature of it made me feel very insecure. So I was like, all right, yoga is something I can do on my own in private. No one's going to be able to point a finger and laugh at me because no one's there. It's just me. So it became a practice of mine to just do sun salutations repeatedly as a form of exercise. What I didn't expect that happened along the way was my first exposure to mind-body connection. It was so subtle that I almost missed it because of my hyperfixation on like weight loss and body image. I almost missed the fact that for the first time I was actually feeling my body and connecting with myself in a way that was beyond my image of myself. It was how I felt in my body. It was a really profound thing that I didn't really realize until much later. Um, So yeah, that was my first sort of chapter with yoga was connecting to my body. And I never, until I was a freshman or a sophomore in college, never took a public class with a group of people. I think one time at a temple, maybe with like some uncles and aunties, but aside from that, never took a class in a group. Uh, So in college, I, you know, was starting to explore different modalities of movement. I got into the gym for the first time and I was lifting weights. I was playing group sports. I was doing dance classes and kickboxing and discovering all these other sides of myself that loved movement because for once it was about discovery and about joy and not about accomplishing some some goal that I wasn't really my heart was never in it to begin with so in this period of time yoga for me became about pushing my boundaries and seeing the full potential that my body and my physicality could reach Um, So I started practicing things that I never imagined myself doing, like headstands, arm balances, like crow pose, um, you know, all these inversions and other things that for me felt like a feat of accomplishment. I was like, wow, look, wait until people see me upside down. Now watch them make fun of me now. So it was a very empowering, like I felt like, oh, this is what it feels like to feel strong and good. Um, So in a way, I was feeling empowered by that. Um, And the next most pivotal chapter of my journey, which is what really pushed me into being a teacher, was the healing chapter. Uh, So I was going through a lot of growing pains in my mid-20s or early to mid-20s and did not know how to handle that. (laughs) Where, you know, I hadn't gone to therapy yet in my life. I didn't know how to deal with all these new emotions and, um, you know, old things kind of coming up in new ways. It was a lot to process. Uh, And I started going to a yoga studio in my neighborhood in Oakland. I was living in the Bay at that point. Um, And it was uh, a studio run by a black woman who, you know, I just loved her studio. The first time that I walked in, it's hotspot yoga in Oakland. Shout out Adesina. Uh, We love Addie. I just felt so incredible because it was a room full of the most diverse group of women I'd ever seen in my life in a yoga studio. And it was amazing to, to feel that way in a yoga space. So I walked in there and we started doing all these hip openers and there was some music playing in one of the classes that maybe, you know, added a little bit of too much, you know, sad girl vibes into the class, but the hip <laughs> openers, 
taught me. They, I mean, okay, song choice in a yoga class is really a thing, okay? But the hip openers started to do something to me. I I tapped into my intuition in a way I'd never done before. I was kind of intuiting things that there's no way for me to know, but later on I found out were correct intuition. Um, there was a great outpouring of feeling coming out of me where I found myself sobbing in pigeon pose. Who hasn't caught themselves sobbing in pigeon pose at some point, you know? I feel like that's a club. Uh, that's like yoga hazing is <laughs> when you first cry in pigeon pose. Yeah, definitely been there before. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. We all must go through some kind of emotional shakeup during a yoga class or during a yoga practice. Um, and that really kicked off for me like, wow, this is not exercise. This is not a physical feat. This is a technology through which I can process my emotions and come out even stronger. Um, this is a way for me to actually harness my energy and take control of it in a way that I can heal myself. So that combined with, you know, in my, in my past, I had done a lot of teaching work in various capacities. Um, I just, it felt like such a natural fit. I'm like, I want to do this for other people. I just want to share the healing. Um, and it was when I started looking into teacher training that I realized there was a much bigger reason why I felt like teaching. It took me five years or so to find a program that I felt like joining, that I felt good about joining because not a single yoga teacher training I could, that I came across covered philosophy, covered the roots of yoga, covered the lineage and the practice and the texts in a way that was holistic or cohesive in any way. It took me a long time to find the studio that I did, Hotspot Yoga, where I also did my training, where they actually cared about the past and felt the need to honor it and um, incorporate it into the teacher training. So it was during that time that I realized how much yoga philosophy had been present throughout my entire life in the form of spirituality, in the form of culture and sort of familial connection. I realized there is a lot of people like me from my background who also feel slightly disenfranchised from their own culture and practice because what we've had presented to us looks nothing like we know. So I decided it was important for not just someone like me, but for me specifically to be a face that people see as a representative of yoga. Um, and I knew opportunities were not going to just get handed to me. So I said, all right, it's time to swallow that pride, demolish that ego, as they're always talking about in yoga, you know, destroy the ego and start advocating for myself, putting my face out there. Um, and that that kind of led me to, to becoming a teacher. And I got my my teaching certification in November of 2019, took a little pause, started teaching in February 2020. I think I taught maybe two in-person classes. <laughs> I, I squeezed in Sorry, I two. don't need to laugh. <laughs> I had a similar experience with timing, so I feel you. I feel like everything always works out. So truly, I'm okay with the way that my teaching experience has gone because I've been able to, through virtual teaching, reach an exponential amount of people or expen exponentially larger amount of people than I would have if I was teaching in a, in a studio in a fixed community. There are so many people that I have encountered and met over the past now three years. Oh my goodness. I just realized what you're wearing. Three years um, who have 
reached out to me with messages, comments, like just in so many different ways have reached out and said, because of you, I want to be a teacher or because of you, I feel like I have a space in this industry or because of you, I feel like this is something I can do or I, I can achieve leadership in this industry. So that became a really inspiring um, motivation for me to continue the work as a teacher, um, especially for women of color, South Asian women who, you know, haven't really been encouraged to own their own culture for a long time. So I'm hoping to continue making that difference um, with my teaching. That's quite an accomplishment. How, I mean, how does that make you feel? That's incredible. I think the best way to summarize how I feel about it is I have to kind of regress back to my 12 year old self, my 12 year old mind and disconnect for a second and say, this is who you are now. This is the impact you've made. You've carved the space for yourself. You have faced a lot of, you've exposed yourself to and faced a lot of hatred from different communities online for speaking your voice and speaking your truth um, and also standing up for a group of people. So it's, it's a source of pride for me to know that I was able to be my own hero in that sense and be a role model for a lot of other younger women and South Asian people in general um, and, and BIPOC, because whenever I do speak about yoga and wellness, I try to speak about it as collectively as possible, because I think there's a lot of ties to Eastern, just different healing modalities across um, different communities of color. So yeah, it, it's something that I try to take pride in. I try to take ownership in my journey, but I also know that I wouldn't have got here without the support of so many other people, whether it's my family, my own group of friends, you know, the leaders that trained me that have been role models and mentors for me along the way. So it's absolutely a, a group effort, but I do want to kind of acknowledge to my 12 year old self, you also did a lot of this on your own. Oh, uh, that's amazing. I could just listen to you talk about that that's all day. That's really beautiful. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're both we're all like beaming ear to ear right now. So sorry. <laughs> I realized that podcasting is not a visual medium and we have to actually say something. And so just sitting here smiling. Um, so I would love to hear it specifically because I know you've been strength training lately. Um, I would love Ooh. to know about what your movement practice looks like outside of yoga. What kind of movements do you like? How do you feel like that informs your yoga practice and vice versa? I feel like you have a unique perspective on fitness that way because you have a, a foot in so many fields. That's very true. Um, my own practice as a teacher, well, starting with my yoga practice, it has gone on and off quite a bit. Um, like any other teacher I think I speak with, there it comes and goes in waves. Like sometimes you get so busy with life and with classes and teaching that you neglect your own practice and teaching becomes your opportunity to practice. But um, you know, since I've moved to New York and now into my own space, I feel a lot more settled and I've brought back my yoga practice heavily in the form of meditation, which feels incredible, but also, you know, gentle movement wherever I have time. But to speak to your other question, I have come to a place where I just love movement so freaking much. I just enjoy moving my body. I enjoy the energy that it generates in my body, which is also why I know I cannot work out in the evenings because I get so excited and hyper. I just, <laughs> I have to do my stuff in the morning. <laughs> That's the only way. Um, my favorite forms of movement, 
Um, I love jump roping and skipping so much. I used to do it a lot when I was a kid. Um, I think it was like jump for the heart or something. It was some initiative at my elementary school um, where it was like a whole day. We had to go out onto like the playground and just like jump rope and they would give us frozen orange slices. And it was just so much fun. Like we were all slightly blistering in the sun and, you know, maybe a little bit delirious, but it was just so much fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed tetherball and I played tennis for a bit. I did basketball. I was on track and field. Like I was, you know, I did little stints in a lot of different sports. I think it was my mentality that I had around my body image and fitness when I was younger that deterred me from exploring the fun that I could have in playing sports and being physical. But now as a healed adult, I'm able to tap into that joy much sooner. Like I never think of movement as a chore. It's just, I do this because it's fun and it feels great. So skipping has been a really fun discovery for me, or it's a re-entry into my life. I think end of 2020 is when I started again. I stumbled upon on Instagram some different people who just started jump roping, and I saw these amazing tricks and techniques and things that they would do, and they'd pair it with music, and they'd make these like dance rope challenges where you're kind of choreographing the, the skipping movements. I'm like, if you can't see me, I'm like, you can't see me, but I'm like shuffling my feet as I'm talking because I get so excited. But it's it's just so much fun. And I got like heavily back into that. So I do that a lot now for fun. Um, I also really enjoy running. It's something I got into in college when I decided I wanted to train for a half marathon and discovered how meditative it can be. Um, this isn't the case for all races, but for the one that I did in Berkeley, I think we weren't allowed to listen to music or there was some other trail, some race that you weren't allowed to listen to music because I think the trail was a little bit, it was just too know, dangerous. Difficult. It was a little bit like too dangerous. Exactly. So they, they needed you to be able to hear their instructions. Mm. So I just started doing my practice runs without music and realized I would immediately slip in, slip into this zoned out, just like super internally focused state. And I get, just kept doing that for years. I would never listen to music when I would run. Um, so that became really fun for me. And it's something that I'm getting back into now. Uh, and then weight training has been the most surprising discovery of my um, adult life. I started in college absolutely not knowing having a clue what I was doing, a single clue. I was just throwing dumbbells around, yanking on cables, like, you know, throwing my leg in the air and thinking, all right, I'm doing something. But I've realized in the past year, especially as I've been really mindful with my weight training, how closely tied it is to my yoga practice. Um, and I've done a couple of reels about this because I really want people to understand it's okay to train cross-functionally. If you're a yoga teacher or a yoga practitioner, that doesn't have to be everything you do. It's not, it's not cheating. It's not diluting the practice if you supplement with other things. In fact, it's strengthening you. Um, and the biggest takeaway for me has been that weight training and yoga have a common denominator of muscular control. Um, and in yoga, we call this technique bandhas or internal muscular locks, which are also in a way energetic locks. Uh, but it's a way that you kind of engage different muscle groups when you're doing movements to both get yourself in a safe alignment, but also execute a posture or a movement um, in a really effective way, in a way that's going to compound your effort, it's going to compound your result, whatever that result is. 
So for me, you know, things like abdominal engagement became really, really important when I was practicing yoga. And I saw myself using it all the time when I was doing um, like squats and deadlifts and things because I used to hurt my lower back all the time when I was in college. Uh, and once I started getting heavily into yoga um, techniques and just ways to keep myself safe, I was astounded at how many parallels there were. So I think that's been like the biggest learning for me is there's a lot of things that translate between um, different types of movement. I feel like people who really love to teach and spread movement around to others, like often are just such movement nerds, just about like, I love to move my body however I can. And I love learning new ways to move my body and being a beginner. And I know growing up in the dance world, I was always discouraged from lifting weights or from running. And now that I do those things, like my dancing is so much stronger because your body can move Mm. in all different kinds of ways. So I don't know. It's so cool to hear about you being an athlete interject. I love that you said that you really like to encourage other um, like movement practitioners or fitness professionals to explore other types of movement. Because I think one unfortunate thing about marketing in the fitness industry is that it has pushed this this message that whatever you're supposed to find your thing and you're supposed to commit to it. And a lot of that is just studios or professionals wanting you to buy an unlimited package and spend all of your time exercising in their location or using their program. Um, So it's just an unfortunate side effect of the marketing and sales aspect of it all that now it's like either you are a Pilates girl or you only do yoga or you run and it's like your identity as as a person who moves becomes just the one thing so I love that you're encouraging people to look beyond that absolutely I mean if you think about oh sorry you go I want to hear what you have to say (laughs) I was gonna say this it to me it reminds me a lot of social media so if you think Mm -hmm. about different platforms their entire objective is to keep you on their app for as long as possible and as intensely as possible. So you're not just spending time there, you're engaging, you're doing things, you're buying things, you're advocating for the app for free. You're basically advertising it for free um, and putting all your time, you're investing the most precious thing you have, which is your time into that app. Um, But who is that in service of? Yes, it can help you. There's certainly ways that you can benefit from that, but ultimately it benefits the app. And I see different, you know, sectors within the fitness industry or different brands, companies within the fitness industry as doing the same thing. They're trying to get you to think that they have the solution and that you need to be completely loyal and pledge your undying loyalty to them and only them if you want to get some kind of ultimate result. But that's only going to help them. If you want to be a multifaceted, you know, fully invested in yourself and you want to do what's right for you, that means you're going to explore your options. You're going to you know, try different things. You're going to cross train, so to speak, um, and develop yourself in new dynamic ways. It's never going to, you know, be the best for you to only have a single track mind. There's nothing wrong with having a focus or a discipline, but ultimately if, if you want to be healthy, you want to 
exposed yourself to as many different modalities of moving as possible. That's why weight trainers or people who are like strength training exclusively, they also, the ones who are, you know, doing it in a holistic way, they also train mobility. They also do yoga mm-hmm. because they know how important it is to get that holistic 360 uh, exposure for your body. They're not going to just do one thing. Absolutely. It reminds me so much of what you were talking about in your yoga practice about killing the ego. I think when we get tied to these modalities as a form of identity, like, you know, what's big on TikTok right now and being like, I'm a Pilates girly or I'm a gym girly. Um, Instead, taking a very yogic approach to movement overall and applying that to everything you practice. I think that's so cool. Um, Okay, I'm going to start. (laughs) we've got some heavy hitter questions coming up and then we've got some fun, more rapid fire ones. But if you had to pick one thing, one, one small little thing, what is your favorite thing about being a yoga teacher? Hmm. Not a small question. Sorry. (laughs) It's a big one. I think my favorite thing is when, a student tells me something clicked for me today. There is this thing that as a fitness instructor in general, it's not specific to yoga teachers, but as an instructor in general, you can use the same cues and teach the same thing in the same format of class a hundred times with the same student there a hundred times. But one day they're going to show up to class with a certain mindset, with a certain intention, and they're gonna hear that cue differently and it's gonna change their life. It's gonna change everything for them. And that moment is so delicious. To, to be part of that moment is so delicious that I, I think that's my favorite thing. All right, another, another quick whopper of a question. Uh, what is one thing that you wish people in general, general population understood about yoga the practice and the industry? And then what's one thing you wish you could change about the yoga industry? Ooh, that's a deep one. Okay. Right off the bat, one thing that I wish people understood about yoga as a practice is that it's not, it's not a, a destination. It's not an action. Yoga is it's a lifestyle. It's a way of living that can be incorporated into every single thing you do in your life from the way that you eat as in to eat more mindfully, to think about what your body needs, um, to the way that you move with intention and with compassion, to the way that you interact with people and to the way that you problem solve and to the way that you dream about the future. Yoga is simply the unification of all the different elements of yourself and the reunification of yourself with all the energy and everything else that exists outside of your physical vessel. So I think a lot of people misunderstand yoga as something that is a religious practice, hence why it's still banned from being taught in different elementary schools around the country. Um, They think it's a religious practice. They think it is dogmatic and that it is exclusive in some way. It's truly not. Yoga is for everyone and anyone. And it is simply a modality that will help you live a better life um, if you learn about all the different facets of it. Something that I think people understood about the industry is as much as, you know, being in the online yoga space, I think I would say at this point, I'm I'm known in the online yoga space as, you know, an instructor, as someone who works to decolonize the practice and to speak on it. Um, 
it still needs a lot of work. I think people think there's enough representation or there's enough conversation, but until these conversations permeate down to the yoga studio in the middle of a suburban community in Minnesota, I'm just making this up, but until these conversations permeate to that level, there is still work to be done. Um, so I think people really need to understand that. And what I'd like to change about the yoga industry is for people of color to not feel like they have to compete for opportunities for leadership. There is, you know, something that happens through the process of white supremacy and oppression, especially in wellness spaces like this, is it feels like there is a finite limited number of opportunities for people of color to break through in meaningful ways in ways that aren't simply about, you know, bringing in diversity in, in authentic ways that are like, no, we want you to lead the charge. We want to relinquish control to you and return it back to the original stewards of this practice. It feels like there's such a limited number of opportunities that sometimes um, as open as the community is, there is still an underlying feeling of, ooh, who's going to get this next opportunity? Is it going to be that person or this person? And I, I really wish that I would go away because it underscores what is such a beautiful and open practice that it could be that much better if it was just truly an open, an open industry. Mm. Mm. Uh, the question I wrote down to ask you is how do you feel about white American women building massive platforms, especially on the internet off of the practice of yoga? Um, which I feel like we've, touched on a little bit already. I feel like I could guess, but I want to add on to that question and say, what can a person who is maybe a more casual consumer of yoga content, someone who is seeking out guidance in their yoga practice for the first time, what can they do to make smarter choices as a consumer and to support this goal of decolonization and looking to yoga practitioners of color, uh, for guidance and leadership to uplift those platforms? So what I've learned about different online platforms and trying to break through as a yoga guide myself is that I have a much tougher fight to have the reach and the exposure that I know I deserve and that I know I can contend with. Um, and that is because these platforms automatically have a preference towards white, thin, able-bodied women um, and to showcasing them. So like we talked about, when you search yoga on different platforms, you're going to see some, you're going to see some interesting things. You're going to see some interesting things. Um, and in order for us to start changing the way this algorithm, whether it's a tangible or intangible thing, the way that we're going to start changing it is by intentionally redirecting our attention, our support, and our money towards BIPOC, South Asian educators and creators who are busting their butts trying to put this education out there, whether they're doing it for free or whether they're doing it with an offering for a subscription. Um, I think we can support them by basically uplifting and elevating their content. I had a reckoning last year where I I was so burned out from giving free content, free education, free classes, free energy, just in every which way it was asked of me, I was just like, yeah, take it, take it. I don't need it. Why do I need it? Take it. Until I realized, oh, I actually do need it because I'm burnt out. And I literally just 
hit a wall one day. I was like, I'm, I'm done. And I kind of just pieced out for a year, not fully, but for me, it was piecing out. And then I realized I need to, I want to give because teaching is such an integral part of me, but I need to do it sustainably. So I set up a subscription service um, where I gave people two different payment options, whether they wanted to support me on a community tier, which was a smaller amount, very, very nominal, same amount as buying a cup of coffee or given the recession now, half a cup of coffee, a shot of espresso <laughs> um, to support Oat all milk. of the free content and milk oh gosh no that might be you might have to go to the second tier if you're trying to support that um but it's just an opportunity for people to say hey i recognize that all this free education you're putting out there is worth something because there are other educators who are watching this and taking notes and just regurgitating it in their classes they're not really taking it and going deeper which is my intention they're just taking it verbatim and using it in their classes so that's a service so if people want to support that they can if there are people who want a more high touch experience i also offer the opportunity for them to join my yoga circle community um, where we get custom classes and again this is very detailed but my point is there are opportunities for people to show their support and uplift bipoc creators and educators um especially on these platforms that hold so much control. And they also unlock a lot of opportunities for these same educators. The more support they get, the more of an audience they have, the more these other brands will pay attention and look at them and say, wow, there's opportunity here. There's potential here. And that gives us a pathway to start turning the conversation around. I hope everyone who's listening to this and we might be, you know, preaching to the congregation here, but I hope everyone who's listening to this really, really takes that to heart because if we have these goals of decolonization and of respecting the roots of these practices, um, like Divya said, your eye, your eyeballs, your attention, your time and your money, like we got to put all of that where our mouth is and, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I would love to hear, perhaps uh, on a hopeful note, maybe, I won't, no pressure to be optimistic, but I would love to hear where you think the yoga industry, even, you know, the uh, corporatized, monetized, most basic American yoga in- industry, where do you think that's headed? Where would you like to see it head? How would you like to see it evolve? I'm noticing a really interesting shift and a trend towards mindfulness and meditation in the wellness industry. I think a lot of people are understanding that we are exposed to a deluge of information, especially since 2020. A lot of us are spending even more on time online consuming information from various reputable or unreputable sources. And there is a lot of information circling in our minds all the time and it gets harder and harder for us to live peacefully. And meditation is a practice that I think skyrocketed through the pandemic and continues to have a really great um, hold on people. And it's also a really good business opportunity for, you know, different organizations or, you know, just individuals who want to kind of capitalize on that. So I'm seeing a huge, huge rise in meditation based apps businesses, um, even product lines and companies that are selling props and products to help you meditate, which you shouldn't need anything, but it's okay. It's completely okay. I'm not saying it's not okay to use props. I'm just saying it's, it's not a necessity. You can do meditation anywhere, anytime. 
So I think that's something that's on the rise. Um, I think people are focused more on on meditation and mindfulness. I think if you're looking at other sides of yoga, um, I think there is a movement towards more diversity, more representation in advertising, in body inclusivity, in teaching language being more inclusive in being more conscientious around touch in teaching spaces and consent. Um, so it's moving in a good direction. Uh, I think in terms of inclusivity, it's still, I'm hopeful that teacher trainings will evolve. I'm, I'm grateful that there are other people who are, I, I consider them mentors who are South Asian or BIPOC who I can see implementing yoga philosophy in their trainings. They're using DEI consultants in their trainings to make sure that the next generation of teachers are more informed, are more compassionate, and are inclusivity minded. But again, like I said earlier, that example of the small town trainings, the small town studios, they're so far removed from these conversations that it, it's it's hard to gauge if they are progressing and evolving at the same or to the same. Uh, to the same uh, output that the online conversations are. So I'm, I'm hoping that at some point they converge, at some point they start listening, and whether it's local leaders who start having the conversations or I'm not really sure how it's going to happen, but I'm hoping that will continue to change. And I hope that yoga starts to be taught in schools. It's, it's actually a, one of my long-term dreams part of my long-term vision is for yoga to be taught in schools to be taught in um within you know jails and prisons uh in communities that aren't necessarily set up to be financially well i would love for yoga to be something that's more accessible so i think demonetizing yoga in some aspects is uh is a dream that i have for yoga and the future of yoga but i know that's a very difficult conversation, especially as a lot of fitness instructors and wellness practitioners rely on money, you know, earning money from these professions. So it's a nuanced conversation for sure. Mm. Mm. That would be amazing. That's a beautiful goal. And it's, it's exciting to hear about like small steps, <laughs> small steps that are being taken to push, you know, fitness and yoga and all of these intersections intersecting modalities forward a little bit. I know we, we always get on our rants. I think the listeners are used to hearing Carolyn and I go on almost doom spirals about the shit we see online. Uh, but we're trying to keep an eye <laughs> on like the light at the end of the tunnel, that there are things that are getting better every day. And like, as you said, Divya, like so much of that is just having these conversations out in the open um, and people, you know, like us, like thin, able-bodied white women who engage with these practices, like these conversations are being had. So seek them out and listen to them. We don't need to be the ones leading these conversations. We don't need to be the ones being like, well, what do we do? How do we listen? Like these conversations are being had. Please, please, please seek them out. I also just, uh, want to say, I love what you said about seeing this start to happen and hoping for more of it in the future that at the training level for yoga teachers, there um, is starting to be more of an emphasis on the philosophy um, of yoga and the history of it. And that 
you know, at least the relevant pieces can trickle down then to the students that are going to these teachers to take the classes. Because I think so much of the, like that disconnection is just, it feeds and is fed into by this idea that yoga is just another workout, that it's just another way to burn calories or get long lean muscles and um, having that more complete picture of where it comes from and what it is and the actual philosophy of it, not just the physical movement practice of it would be so beneficial to so many people. Um, So yeah, hopefully we do start to see more of that trickle down into those smaller communities in Minnesota. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for um, rapid fire round? These are I oh God, don't want to steal go. too much more of your time, but we're bringing the bring the heat now. Um, All right. All right. Ready. What is your fitness, movement, wellness, whatever pet peeve? Hmm. Okay. This I know this is going to this is going to talk. This is going to strike a few nerves because I think people see this uh, as something that's really gentle and compassionate and nice. Personally, I I get the ache every time I hear I, someone say, I invite you to. I know. I know it's kind. I know it's compassionate. And I know it's actually, on a very serious note, trauma-informed and a good way to do things. Personally, just personally, I just don't like hearing it. I know it might be really helpful for other people. You just don't like how it sounds. (laughs) I just don't like how it sounds. It just I'm like less less words, less descriptions. Just tell me what to do. (laughs) That's so Um, funny. We definitely say that one a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly I've probably said it myself and like I said, I see the benefit in it and I, I think it's actually a very good tool for different um different scenarios. It's just something that for some reason, for whatever reason, gives me the ick. I love it. I love the honesty. All icks are valid here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I know I you're on other ways to say this. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Fair. I was just saying, I think there's other ways to say it as well. It's just that particular phrase. I don't know why it just gets me. All icks are valid. It's bring it. Um, okay. I know you're on TikTok. What does your FYP look like on like a random scroll? What's the sample that we're getting? It's a lot of small animals. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of bunnies and cats and guinea pigs and quokas and lambs and cows because that's all that I consume on social Aww. media. <laughs> I, I that sounds that. idyllic. That sounds lovely. And then it's also what- my retirement. So. <laughs> oh my god what's your dream <laughs> retirement plan that involves small animals uh farm setting oh, amazing mm-hmm. i think we're gonna join you on that i think we're gonna follow <laughs> you there uh to the field we full of be visiting. <laughs> yeah that sounds amazing i want to go to there um what is your favorite non-fitness corner of the internet hmm Honestly, it's going to mirror my last answer. It's it's the corner of the internet where people do voiceovers over videos of their small animals. Um, that's my favorite. I, I just love it. I love when people give their pets personalities, when they do funny things or hop on trends or when they dress them up. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, they don't have to do much. They could just put a camera in front of their pet and that would be enough for me. But when they <laughs> add the pizzazz, I just love it. So fun. <laughs> do you have any pets? Oh, sadly, no. Um, I'm just not in the mindset to commit to that massive undertaking right now. It it will happen one day. I'm just going to go from nothing to having an entire farm full of animals. But a menagerie. For now, <laughs> for now I'm, I'm good. Actually, I recently discovered that Google has, uh, I think it's like an AR feature where you can see certain animals like in your space. Like you can just like point your camera at like your floor and like you can click on the guinea pig and it'll show up and it'll squeak <laughs> or you can see like a cat or like a, a gerbil. So I'm like, for now, this is, you know, going visiting friends with pets and Google AR is, <laughs> is uh, scratch the itch. What a fun use of tech. I love that. Just a little hit of a pet. <laughs> Just a Micro bit. dosing <laughs> pet ownership. I love it. Uh, well, we like to I do... Have one, um, wait, I have one oh. more rapid fire question just because I always love to know this. What is your like go-to snack or food right now that you are just loving? Ooh, I think they're called golden berries. Trader Joe's sells them. They're these mm. tiny little cherry tomato sized berries that taste like honestly a mix between a little bit of a cherry tomato and like passion fruit and maybe a little bit of like um I don't know like a little bit of like mango I don't know it's just like a tropical delicious food and I can eat an entire box in one sitting and I I just like black out and I I don't know what happened that sounds so refreshing (laughs) yum yeah I think you can tell we recorded through lunch because Carolyn my last rapid fire question was going to be what's your go-to little drink of choice because we always like to do a bev check so what's your like do you have like a go-to get a little drinky treat and walk around like what's your order Mm, iced matcha Ooh, Mm. a classic so good (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh well this was truly so much fun thank you so much so so much for being our first guest on the podcast Nivia. i'm so happy you're here um could i you're gonna kill me i invite you to please share with our audience <laughs> where they can find you where they can support your content where they can take your yoga classes all that kind of good stuff and i've got the list here in case you forget anything but i think they should hear it from you <laughs> Well, I humbly accept your invitation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my handles are fairly consistent across all my platforms. It's Divya Bala, D like dolphin, I, V like Valentine, Y, A, B like boy, A, L, A. Um, that's my handle on Instagram, on um, TikTok with an underscore at the end, on YouTube where I have free yoga classes that are full length, organized by length of time. Um, and also on Patreon, that's my handle there. So if you would like to support me and my work monetarily, I have two different tiers. Um, and those are probably the best ways to, to support me. I post a lot of educational content on Instagram specifically, um, also on TikTok, but they're just meant to be little bites of information and education throughout your day to, you know, break up the memes and the, the cat videos. (laughs) Um, and also the traumatic news, which is constant. Um, but yeah, I think those are the best ways to, to support me. Patreon's a good way to, to give back a lot of the money that I do earn from there ends up going back into production. I also have fundraiser yoga classes every few months or so 
um, where I don't make anything. I actually operate at a loss. And those are also really good opportunities if you would like to do what we call seva or service, which is giving back to the community. Um, so those are, yeah, just a handful of ways that you can stay plugged in. Beautiful. And we will make sure those are all in the show notes and all over Instagram and all kinds of ways that you can click on them and uh, follow Divya around because I think you'll love her work and just her as a person as much as I do. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's it. Any closing words, Carolyn? I feel like I completely shut you out of this episode, <laughs> but we were just sitting here smiling the whole time. <laughs> no, that was that was beautiful. Divya, thank you so much for talking with us. That was amazing. It was uh, great to have that conversation really honored to be your first guest and great questions this is such a fun conversation to have and um yeah i feel like y'all are doing something really important here with the types of questions and conversations that you're starting so yeah it's been lovely thank you so much for listening everyone we hope you enjoyed that conversation with divya we just had so much fun talking to her it was so interesting hearing about um these topics from her perspective wouldn't you say she's so generous about sharing her internal world and her practice and i think that's such a valuable you know what what we talked about with sort of the depersonalization and the uh whitewashing and all of that with yoga like she is so uh, candid about what she shares. And I just, I learn a lot whenever I listen to her speak. So I'm Absolutely. really, really happy that we had Divya yes. as our first guest. Woo. <laughs> Me too. So fun. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. If you want to support the show and get access to exclusive episodes, you can find us on Patreon. Um, that's patreon.com slash fit literate pod. Also, if you like the show, one of the most amazing things that you could do for us is to leave a positive review, even if it's just an emoji or a couple of words um, here on Apple Podcasts, if that's where you're listening. Us, this is mm. a new tier of, uh, of support that we've just recently introduced is that if you give us a five-star review and you write us a nice little note, we'll give you a big kiss on the mouth. <laughs> You will have to fly to either Orlando or New York and either to mm -hmm. redeem said kiss, mm -hmm. but <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, We're not but I think that's a tax deduction. It's so I'm just um, kidding. We're, don't take any money advice from us and <laughs> I'll kiss you, but you're going to have to work for it. All right. This I derailed us. Um, anyways, what's happening? <laughs> oh my goodness. But yes, please leave, leave a review. Please check out the Patreon. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and Oh, one more thing. Um, if you have something that you want to tell us in relation to an episode, whether it's a story you want to share or you have a criticism about something that we say, please, please, please send us an email. Don't DM either Laura or I personally because we won't read it. Like our personal DMs are not for... We lose things really fast. Yeah, it gets lost. It's just, it's hard for us to keep up with. So if you have something that you want to say about the podcast specifically, send us an email. That is the best way for us to actually see it. Yes. Emails. Yes, yes, yes. Yay. Boundaries. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Look at her go. Look at me go. All right. All right. Well, we I will talk to you it. in the next episode, everyone. Bye-bye. We love you. Bye.